You know where I'm from. When black folks started revolutions, they never had the firepower or the resources to fight their oppressors. Where was Wakanda? Hmm? You know how that ends today. We got spies embedded in every nation on Earth, already in place. I know how colonizers think, so we're going to use their own strategy against them. We're going to send vibranium weapons out to our war dogs. They'll arm oppressed people all over the world so they can finally rise up and kill those in power and their children and anyone else who takes their side. It's time they know the truth about us. We're warriors. The world's going to start over, and this time we're on top. The sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. Wakanda has survived for so long by fighting when only absolutely necessary. Wakanda survived in the past this way, yes. But the world is changing, General. Countess, it is getting smaller. The outside world is catching up. And soon, it will be the conquerors or the conquered. I'd rather be the former. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Okay, folks, we're live and direct. This is the Grindhouse edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk and sometimes the Uncanny Daryl B. The, the Uncanny and myself were getting at it <laughs> on Twitter. Earlier today, we were actually talking about She-Ra, this new interpolation or interpretation of the, the 80s cartoon, you know, He-Man and She-Ra and all those things. And um, I knew about the bit of a dust-up about the characterization of the cartoon. I mean, again, we can't always expect to go home to what we once knew. We, I would expect changes, but I also have problems. I think it's problematic when they start to reinterpret some of these childhood things so drastically, and they're 
appears to be social engineering afoot. There appears to be a, a social a social scientist interpretation of what young girls would like. I'm just saying, but I really didn't have a dog in that race, but it's on Netflix now. We may address it. It was an interest, interesting <laughs> battle of wits going back going back in my back between myself and uh, the great uncanny. We do disagree even among ourselves, so that's how how we get down. Not a big deal. Interesting enough anyway. The call in number is 646-915-9620 again. 646-915-9620. Feel free to buzz on in. Join in on the fun, folks. Um, I had a good time actually checking out. This is the second season. Let me not be remiss. Of Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. Now, Mike Judge is an animator. You may, may be familiar with him from King of the Hill and most certainly Beavis and Butthead, MTV's Beavis and Butthead. So now he's doing something that is a little closer to home with using animation to essentially talk about tour bus stories from some of our great and iconic music, music artists, musicians. So last year was more about country and rock from the 50s. This time around, this time around, he's actually talking about some of the funk artists. And George Clinton had one episode. Rick James needed two. We're going to talk about it. Rick James, an animated Rick James, done in Mike Judge style, also an animated Prince. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about Bill Maher, Bill Maher, the political humorist. So without further ado, you know, we do Urban Alt Groove here. Herb Alt, Afropunk, Black Rock, you know the deal, Psychedelic Soul. But since we were talking about Rick James, i got to play a little bit of Rick James. This is hard to get, the mighty Rick James, the late, great Rick James. Let's most certainly groove.
God. <laughs> the mighty Rick James. You know, I forget how nasty Rick James could be. <laughs> I, ha- I have forgotten. I- my apologies to the late, great Rick James. We're going to get it in this evening, folks. There's a lot to get into, a lot to discuss, a lot for the discourse. Anyway, people, let's just get to it. Captain, I need you to do a time loop. I need you to go back to 1981 <laughs> and check out Rick James in concert. I want you to see what happened between him and Prince. Anyway, sir, you need it. Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. No offense to Afrolearn, but at that given time, I like Rick James way more than I like Prince, man. It is what it is. <laughs> that was my gut, right? You know, well, cocaine's a hell of a drug, though. <laughs> that was my guy, boy. That was my guy, boy. <laughs> well, tr- truth be told, I think many of us, because look, Prince was just kind of emerging. You know what I mean? He was the young upstart, which is what this animated special is going to really get into. But the, the comical part, look, we, we were fortunate enough. We live a charm life. Uh, we were fortunate mm-hmm. enough to interview Andre Simone twice. That's Prince's boy. Yes, sir. And even, yep. and even shout out to Mike Dean. Mike Dean was fortunate enough to also establish a relationship to a lot of these funksters, including Andre Simone. So uh, on both shows, but I think even more so, more so on Mike's show, uh, the Prince podcast, they really went into – he really went into this whole rivalry thing between Prince and and Rick James. It was always known, but I didn't necessarily know how deep it was. But look, both musicians, you know, made each other better. You could say that somewhat. But yeah, Prince, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Rick James was that guy. He came in a little bit harder than Prince. Prince exploded a couple of years later, but preceding Rick James. Uh, I mean, seeing Prince, Rick James was the man. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. And he was also the cat that really exemplified. And not really, I'm not here to like uh, co-sign it on, co-sign on this, but he exemplified a black man's interpretation of the rock and roll, uh, rock and roll lifestyle. He really was, because that was really reserved for white men. So he tapped into some of that. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. We, we will. It's, it's I, I thoroughly enjoyed. The Mike Judge has a certain sense of humor anyway. He has a droll, dry sense of humor. And, I, you, know, you know, you don't need comic writers to tell the truth when, you know, people are just kind of naturally funny. Oh, man, it was, <laughs> it was something to, to, to see this, especially in animated form. Crazy. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. People, you can join in, too. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero again. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero. I see we have a few callers waiting in abeyance to, to chomp it up. 
I don't know what they're waiting for because we're all over the map this time. There's a lot to get into, Captain. Um, I, I suspect the the Blurds have a problem. They've taken up taken umbrage with Mr. Bill Maher. Maybe maybe we should address that. That's the one that's burning up the internet right now. His comments. You could talk about women. <laughs> you could talk about the black folk, the brown people, but don't you dare talk about the nerds. <laughs> it's gotten personal. Um, all right, look, let, 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 me, uh, let, let me get into this topic. Uh, let me set it up. And uh, what is all the hullabaloo? A few days ago, it appears that TV show commentator, Real Time with Bill Maher, you remember him going back, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years now, with Politically Correct. Was it Politically Incorrect? Um, that show on ABC. He's known for having somewhat of an acerbic wit. Uh, I like his comedy on occasion, but he is rapidly progressive, which is fine. But there's this belief, Captain, that that kind of droll smarminess that we often see on the right doesn't exist on the left. That's just not true. You know, you you can take someone like uh, Bill O'Reilly had that positioning of kind of being this this droll. But there's a few of them. Tucker Carlson has that kind of delivery. And we don't, you know, that's we think that's just exclusively reserved to the folks on the right. Not not really the case. Not really, not really the case. Sean Hannity's in the, hey, look, there's there's a there's a cadre of these smart yep. types, okay? But yep. we see that Bill Maher occupies a similar kind of smarminess from his perspective. So this time around. In a real-time blog piece, in the in the wake of the iconic passing, the iconic passing of Stan Lee, people didn't want to hear it. I didn't necessarily want to hear it, but he was very nonchalant and smarmy about the passing of Stan Lee. When we you, one would figure, well, what's so? What's the problem with Stan Lee? So. Let me uh, let me look for this piece. I should have had it up already, but this this piece about Stan Lee. Let me let me, let me make it clear as to what um, Bill Maher is actually saying. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, there's, there's a whole bunch of folks that are cut weighing in on this. You had a, you had quick rebuttals. Now why can't I? I cannot find this thing here. It's a comedian. Okay, well, you know what? I'll read uh, I'll read this from the Huffington Post. Okay, it says here, Bill Maher trashes fans mourning Stan Lee and adults who read comics. The comedian had harsh words for adults who pretend comic books are sophisticated literature. Comedian Bill Maher is getting the ire of the comic book world this weekend after making disparaging remarks about fans who mourned the passing of Marvel icon Stan Lee. In a blog post Marr wrote Saturday, the late-night host trashed the impact that Stan Lee had on generations of comic book readers. The guy who created Spider-Man and the Hulk has died, and America is in mourning. Marr's blog post began. Deep, deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. 
The basis of the criticism seems to originate from his belief that comic books are for children. He chided adults for deciding about 20 years ago that they didn't have to give up kid stuff. They pretended comic books were actually sophisticated literature, Marr said. Marr then took the rather large leap from comics to the political system. I don't think it's a huge stretch to suggest that Donald Trump could only get elected in a country that thinks comic books are important. As you would expect, commentators on Facebook and on the real-time site disagreed, and they were not kind. Some pointed to the countless numbers of children who learned to read from comics and the scores of artists and writers who found their careers after being inspired by Lee. Many readers pointed out Mars' hypocrisy in the debate. Don't you own part of the Mets, said Facebook user. You know, said one Facebook user, you know, a bunch of guys who get paid obscene amounts of money to play a children's game and take it away, take it way too seriously. Indeed, Mars own, Mar does own a stake in the Mets, says the guy who smokes pot like a college student, said another reader. The, mass, the vast majority of the comments simply describe the rant as tone deaf or sounding like an old man telling kids to get off the lawn. Oddly enough, Mar didn't seem to mind appearing in Marvel's Iron, Iron Man 3, though we should note the scene ended up being deleted. All right, so uh, I have my own opinion. Uh, I'm gonna tell you I'm something gonna, real. I'm gonna pass the mic to you, and then we're gonna open up the lines, and we're gonna go. We're gonna go around the horn. Go ahead, Cap. I'm gonna tell you something real, boy. <laughs> it's a true story, and I remember it well, like it was yesterday. In the third grade, third grade now, I was having a conversation with one of my classmates because we were talking about the vision, right? <clears throat> and he says, "Your vision can make himself invisible." I said, no, he can make himself intangible. And he was like, what? And then the teacher jumped in and said to me, how do you know that word? What does that word mean? I said, you can't touch him. And then she went ahead and said, classroom, does anyone know what intangible means? No one else knew in the classroom. But I knew because vision was my doom. You understand? I read that in the comic book. So that one word right there, at least for the day, I was the man. Based on that, that came from the comic book. That didn't come from any school lessons or whatever. You, you're not going to get that word to probably 8th, ninth grade. You understand what I'm saying? 8th, ninth grade. Though I was a class clown, class idiot, I was pretty much from a vocabulary standpoint, I was ahead of them fools, man. You know, they, they, a lot of things they didn't know, man. Nuclear, we didn't know anything about that. You know? It was only one other kid, because he was into the comic books, too. You know, but he didn't know the words like me. Because my brother would turn, my older brother would say, this is why it's good to have a, you got to look the word up. You know, and I would be, I'm like, yeah, what's this here, man? I go look the word up. And then sometimes I go as far, we didn't have Google and whatnot then. You got to go to encyclopedia. That's how you, you learn a lot of stuff, unless you're going to go to the library. So we had those Encyclopedia Britannica. So you, you had to look all up in there. You understand? Not, not like how some of these kids, you can't read by third grade. Third, I was one and popping, man. I don't even remember what I learned to read, but I was one and popping. I could read anything. You understand? I remember my mother, she was going to school with something, and, I, and she said, can you read this word? The word was Australopithecus. And she couldn't believe that I was able to sound the word out. Because people in the classroom had problems at our college. 
at the given time, wherever she was, NYU, whatever, one of them schools, you know? But that, again, came from comic books. Though they didn't have actual epithecates up in there, you know, <clears throat> which is, you know, you, you go back into your history as far as, um, you know, like Lucy and the apes that turned into man, that type, that's where actual lepithecus pretty much came from. But that ability came, again, from Columbus. Well, Columbus had some words up in there, man, you know, and you had to literally look them up the hard way, you know, and say, okay, now I see what's going on, now I see what's going on. So that's a strike. Next strike, <laughs> the next strike is that a lot of people, it's not 20 years ago also with comic books. People, a lot of times, never really put these books down. They backed off because they started to get expensive. When I was coming through, you had 15, 20 cents, 25 cents, 30 cents, 40 cents, 50 cents. Once it got to about, like about a dollar, the book quality dropped off as far as I'm concerned, you know? And then there was a resurgence a little, some years later, started to get a little bit tighter. But like around there, the books to me didn't seem, you know, reboot this, reboot that, and everything else. It was better, man, to me, when you was dealing with Jack Kirby and all that other type stuff. You know, books were just better, man, you know. So, but a lot of people never gave it up. They, they, they cut back some, they, you know. They never, never, you know, they pretty much never gave it up. Also, the thing with comic books, based on my own empirical evidence, everybody... Who was in? I still remember that that kid that got me for my champions, man. He vicked the champions off me, but that, that's that's back then. See, I I, I remember the stuff well, man. When he was trading, kind of like yo, where that champ, where that champion? And then he moved the following week from out of the neighborhood. That's by the by. <clears throat> what happened a lot in my sphere with comic books? The people that was heavily into it, no one was locked up. Messed up or anything up. People were going to school. They went to the military. They went. Everybody was. Everyone was legit, man. In the comic book circle, there weren't no f ups in there, man. No drug acts, nothing, man. You know, no one getting suspended from school every three every three months. None of that, man. Comic book sphere was tight. The people outside comic book and martial arts sphere. The people that were into anything, the real musical guy, the sports guy, all them dudes was effed up, man. Some of them dead now and all the other types of behind effery. All comic dudes out there, they good. They good. They good. They good. So there's something in there with that. And also the thing with comics, what one begins to realize, it makes you think you could do other things, man. All right, I've read about this nuclear business up in this, man. All right? Let me, let me go bang out these type of classes. And now... You start thinking, some of that, is, you know, you realize it's instilled in you. All right, now I know how to make circuits, because while I was reading that Iron Man joint, you know, he talked about parallel and series circuits. All right, this is easy, man. Ain't nothing to do this, man. I could, you know, you, you, learn to, you can learn that yourself, man. It's not hard like that. Plus, you got the precursor in the comic book. So there's a lot of that going on with the comic books, whether you're not. It's a programming the mind, believe it or not. It's downloading algorithms within you, you know? And we don't think of it like that to give it time. It does seem like some kiddie stuff and something you should let go as you get older. It does seem like that, but actually there's a lot more to it. You understand? There's a lot more to it. It's very in-depth. There's a lot going on with this. So now, if Mr. Bill Miller 
<laughs> Mr. Bill. <laughs> Remember Mr. Bill? <laughs> Saturday Night Live? Was that Saturday Night Live? I think that was Saturday Night Live, Mr. Bill. Anyway, <clears throat> if he had did this seven years ago, he would have probably got away with it. It would have been cool and everything else. Stanley's alive. You know, some people actually do feel feel that, you know, feel that way. But once a person dies also, people are going to pounce on you. It's best that you say good things or you don't say anything at all once a person passes. You see what I'm saying? You just got to leave it at that. You got to get all your vitriol out when they're alive. And like seven years ago, this would have probably went off with a little, what, what did he say? Colored people would have said something, would not have been any big deal. But now that the man has died, it's more. And I really don't agree with what he's saying pertaining to it based on my stories. You know, back over to you, Afternoon. Yeah, uh, what can I say? I mean, I, I can really break this down in so many different directions. Uh, I'm, I'm inclined not to be so verbose. Maybe, maybe we should bring in these other folk. What do you think, Captain? Because I, I do want to give, give my piece, but it's going to be somewhat – I'll try okay. to chop it Go down. Ahead, bring I, I'll bring in some folks. Bring in yeah, I'll bring in um, area code 510, and then I guess that's from the West Coast. And then I'll, I'll uh, I see our friend from Chi-Town is also waiting to, to weigh in. Uh, let, let me just give a quick snippet, and a, a quick snippet, and then we'll bring in 510, because I, I do have enough, enough going on to say, to talk about this. So, I mean, first, we do have to get to the point, Captain, of letting vituperative statements get to us like as a culture because sometimes someone can say something and it's just his opinion and then everyone gets angry and you know it's, it's not that big a deal where we where it, like again you know you, you heard the term ire the, the raising of the ire folks are ready to like just it seems like it's it's an all or nothing zero to a hundred reaction when someone says something like how dare i mean the man is entitled to his opinion and that's exactly what it is it's an opinion. What I will say, and then you know, I will I will revisit it with more um, accuracy, is it's it's common it's it's commentary based on solid ignorance. Let me repeat that. It's commentary based on solid ignorance. When uh, someone I've actually spoken to who's also a conservative. Um, she goes by GOP black chick, Crystal Wright. You may have seen her uh, uh, commentating here and there. GOP black chick. And what she came, she came out about a year ago or a year and a half ago when Luke Cage came out, right? Now, this is a, a well-educated, corporate, sophisticated, conservative black woman, right? So her first knee-jerk reaction about – Luke Cage was, well, why is he wearing a hoodie? Why does he look like a thug? Superheroes are supposed to wear costumes. Like, as a surface-level, knee-jerk, ignorant reaction fitting the archetype that she's used to. She's looking at comic books, and she's stuck that stuck on comic books be, being a, a very um, one-dimensional medium. Now, we all know, again... It's not – well, first of all, that character has come a long way since 1972. We know that it's, it's, it's giving us 
a historical perspective of Harlem, courtesy of Netflix, for, for two seasons. He's spouting off historical names like Christmas Addicts. You know, he, he, he has been, if anything, he has been critiqued. He has been critiqued for being somewhat conservative. One of the things that some, that some had a problem with uh, looking at, looking at um, Luke Cage was that he, he exemplified respectability politics, our favorite term. But GOP, GOP black chick looked at him as, he's just a thug, he's not wearing a cape. That's someone who is looking at children's books from 1950. This is not this is not 1950. Matter of fact, the books in 19 the books in 1950 really weren't really had to be looked at in a certain way. Frederick Wortham and and Marsden and his uh, polyamorous lifestyle in the background. Even back then, the books underneath. The, you know, the good girl art and the bondage and discipline <laughs> that was being snuck in for, for eight-year-olds. There's a lot of layering, yay or nay, going on, in 19, even in 1950, but these people are saying, well, this is, just, this is just kid stuff. No, it's not. No, it's not. You don't know what you're talking about. One more thing, and then I'm going to pass the mic. <laughs> See, I, I can really go in on this. This is akin to the conservatives at Fox when they were calling Common, Common at the White House for, uh, during, then, during the then Obama administration. Well, he's, he's a gangster rapper. He's a gangster rapper. He raps. He's black. He's from Chicago. He does gangster rap, right? 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 You see the ignorance? Nas, that Nas, that, that Nas guy, pardon me, that Nas guy, doesn't he follow Farrakhan? Is he a gangster rapper? You see what I mean? This stuff, it, it, it's more <laughs> sad. <laughs> see what I mean? It's more sad. You don't know what the F you're talking about. I try very hard on this mic to spit with some accuracy. And if, you, if, I, if I come off here and there, I have my audience, I have my crew, I have Captain, I have the Uncanny to straighten me out. Okay? But when you're flying without a net, like Bill Maher did, you really don't know what you're talking about. This comic book stuff is a lot, is a lot deeper than he thinks. We were fortunate enough to, and I mentioned this with a great deal of pride, we were fortunate enough to interview the late, great Dwayne McDuffie, right? Dwayne McDuffie is the godfather of the Blurred Movement. I said it. I was matter of fact when I when he died you can go back to the archives I was I was upset for a number of reasons he was he was a relatively young man in his late forties he was going in for for a a very um you know, a, 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 a procedure that really wasn't controversial or, or, or weird it was a freak freakish kind of thing right he 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 and others had expected for him to survive the surgery right um. But his background, again, the father of the blurred movement, he's not just a comic writer. Dwayne McDuffie had a master's degree in physics and a BA in English from the University of Michigan. Okay? Uh, he attended film school at NYU's Tisch, Tisch School for the Arts. 
That's your comic book writer. Uh, Amy Amy Chu Amy Chu, who Daryl has interacted with. You can go to go to the IG to our Afrono Radio at IG and see him smiling along with one of his one of his uh, one of his his compatriots. She, I believe, she has uh, several as a couple of degrees from from Harvard. These aren't dumb people. I'll stop there. <laughs> Bill Maher, you, you kind of messed up on this one. You kind of messed up on this one. Let's go to 510. Welcome to the Grind House. Tell us who you are, where you're calling, calling from. What's up, guys? Uh, this is Prodigy from uh, from Twitter and uh, Black and the Black Times Infinity as well. Um, calling okay. from the West Coast. I was uh, yes, sir. Wanted, to, wanted to just echo um, what you were saying about Ma- Bill Maher. He's... Um, He's something, man. I mean, this this is uh, this is a bad look for him. Uh, it's, it came across as petty. It came across as childish. And, uh, and like you mentioned, uh, D-Bird, uh, he didn't know what he was talking about. And uh, that's why the uh, the nerds from all over are coming at him, and rightly so. Um, but uh, I, I, I will say um, I, I would love to stay on for when you discuss and dive into this, this She-Ra reboot. Because that oh, was yeah. the topic I, I was I was holding my hand for, but but you're 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 spot on the money with uh, Bill Maher. Yeah, uh, Cthulhu. Again, this is Cthulhu's prodigy on uh, Twitter, and just you mm-hmm. using that, just just you referencing Cthulhu is is indicative enough alone of of this not being kid stuff. So I mean. It, it, it's it's disturbing that you know uh, I, I would say many 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 years ago, right? Well, let me, let me go back because I can't help myself. You know, we all know in the, in the late fifties, right? We know about Frederick Wortham, Seduction of the Innocent. Those who are into the comic book culture, uh, he's public enemy number one. Although he was helpful to black people, that's I can't even get into that. That's like a side hidden story that not too many people know about. That's why I have a very precarious relationship with, with the Wortham story. Anyway, I'll, maybe if I have time, I will go into that. I think I might have mentioned, it, mentioned that uh, a, few, a few stories ago. Actually, uh, Wortham has, has several black positive stories as a German doctor, but I digress. Psychiatrist. Uh, Wortham, if, for the, as the story goes, um, you know, convicts were under fire during the mid-50s, so much so that there, was, there were congressional hearings about these comic books, because especially EC Comics, that had these Tales from the Crypt and these rather graphic covers, you know, severed heads. I mean, look, that stuff is kind of crazy. You're going to keep it 100, right? But he went further than that. He went into the whole thing about uh, Batman, and, Batman and Robin have a homoerotic relationship. and I mean, he went into a whole thing. <laughs> That DC wasn't trying to hear, right? And, and he, he he said that these comic books are, are the cause or one of the causes of truancy. You know, when you think about Blackboard Jungle, uh, a, a young Sydney Portier, a young Sydney Portier, and all and all those folks. I think who else is in there? Um, the gentleman that that was beheaded by ironically, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Morrow, Vic Morrow was also in. Um, in Blackboard Jungle. So anyway, Blackboard Jungle, if you remember that, that, that excellent movie, Glenn Ford was a teacher. Uh, this is the city ass is coming out of me, Sergio. <laughs> that, that movie 
um, spoke about, I think, hell, even Jamie Farr was in there. Yeah, Jamie Farr is still acting, by the way. Jamie Farr was in there. Oh, my memory's kicking in now. Ginseng I took before the show. So uh, during that time period, comic books were, he wanted comic books to be, perceived, to be perceived in a certain way, right? But now, how do you come from 1950s high school truancy and comic books at the root of all this stuff to now 180 degrees with nerd culture and astrophysicists shouting out comic books and comic book references? Now, you have people like Mae Jameson who was able to be a, 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 an astronaut, a woman, a black female astronaut, and she ties that to one of our god sisters, godmothers of the Blurred Movement, Nichelle Nichols. Just that imagery, just that imagery coming from pop culture, science fiction, comic books, all those things. As I alluded to, it, when I was growing up, looking at Robbie Robertson, not not as a superhero, but just as a a elegant, polished, perceptive black person who really knew who Parker was. I didn't realize it at the time, but as an adult, I said, "Damn, I really appreciated looking at that." Glory, Glory, Gloria Brant, Glory Brant, who was Peter Parker's neighbor, fine, afroed and fine, black positive in her appearance. Not some Shanae type. That's I, those little <laughs> nuggets. Those little nuggets influenced me. They re, they really did. Hell, Jefferson Pierce that we see now, elegant black man uh, referencing Booker T. Washington on TV. That's from a goddamn comic book, Bill. He doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why. That's why he's looking at it like, well, this is just silly kid stuff. No, it's not. No, it's not. I got a question. Go ahead. I got a question. Cthulhu Prodigy. Why that name? What possessed you to do that? Yes. So I am a huge fan of the character, not the person. Of H.P. Lovecraft, but the character okay. of Cthulhu, I like his chaotic evil and, and sowing madness, and those stories have always been haunting and inspiring and just fun for me. And then, of course, Prodigy from Mob Deep uh, is what I, one of the uh, rappers that I grew up on. So in tribute to both the character and uh, the iconic rapper, uh, I came up with the name. Do you see what, do you see what's I, going on I like on the here? way you think. I like the that. way you think, man. <laughs> well, look at that. I couldn't even hate on that if I wanted to, man. Oh, man, that's good. That's good. Good job, sir. Good job. Thanks. That's like, that's like Dana Carvey. I feel like Dana Carvey isn't that special. <laughs> so for real. <laughs> to, make that, to make that connection is pretty deep. But Bill Maher is thinking that these, this is just people in capes. And this is a guy again. This is this is a gentleman who has an Ivy League degree, if I remember correctly, from uh, not is it Cornell, Columbia, I think Columbia. Anyway, he he's too smart for himself. He's a little too smarmy in that in that positioning. Like if you you got to know a little bit about something before you critique it. But he's looking at it from a distance, not really knowing that a lot of the scientists and the mathematicians and all it, it's not just they're part. They are a part of the nerd culture thing. 
comic books works uh, it works their way in in the process. It really does. Anyway, we have. Uh, I'm going to keep Cthulhu on. I'm going to keep you on hold. We're going to come back to you because I do want to get in. We're going to talk a little bit about that Shira thing. I I didn't intend to speak about it, but I think we're going to have to speak about it because th- th- it, there's something going on there. Hold on, Cthulhu. Hold on. Uh, let's go to our friend from Chi Town, Chi Town's finest, our own personal cinephile, Sergio Mims. Sergio. Yes, sir. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Am okay. I coming clear? Okay, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, very clear. Um, yes, very clear. Um, 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 okay. Okay, I'm going to have to take the other view of this. Let's have a discussion That's fine. here. Even though. He's. You can say he's a hypocrite. I don't even remember him in Spider-Man Three. I really don't. I am. Um, then who remembers the movie? But yeah, then. Who deleted? Or Iron who Man Three. Okay. Yeah. See, deleted. there you go. Okay. And 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 the fact that he's a professional provocateur. All right. I can see where he's going because this is a generational thing. Okay. That's what a lot of the people are not understanding. If you, I'm with like him, if you're growing up at that age, comic books were considered a child thing, you know. And actually, I will tell you, when I was a kid, I really loved EC Comics more than anything else. I loved Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror. I used to buy this stuff all the time. It would creep me out, but that was my thing. You know, I would read DC, you know, and I would read Marvel because Marvel actually had black people in it, you know. True. But EC was my thing. Okay. But, you know, by the time you get to high school, my our, our generation is, okay, that's for kids. Now you want to go on to something else. So I understand where he says, when did it happen that comic books now became such a huge thing. I was talking to a guy I know who's really seriously into the whole comic book world, right? And I was asking him, and he's he's like, I guess he's like 40, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, what did this happen? Because, I, you know, it was like overnight. It was Marvel. It was all this. And I'm like, what? when did something that when I was growing up was considered a childhood thing now has become this major thing that millions of people, I'm talking adult people, are so into. Because I well, somehow I I didn't see that upcoming, you know. Well, so I would, like I always tell the story when Star Wars came out, and I was there when it came out 40 years ago. I was like, oh yeah, it's okay, it's fine. I had no idea that film was going to blow up like the way it did. Afro-nerd. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't people read more comic books, actual books, the 60s, 70s, 80s, than they actually read now? Yeah, well, Isn't to, that be the more case? Spe- to be more specific, at the time of comic books, I mean, as far as we, you know, real heavy-duty comic book uh, reading during the superhero genre, because, you know, comic books are not just superheroes. Their westerns, yeah, yeah. their romance, but superheroes, superheroes yeah. really set it off with boys reading them. Let's say between 1938 and 1953, right? That, that's the golden age. Yeah. Uh, children were reading comic books 
in the millions, in the millions. But after World War II, and even the soldiers, they were sending them over to soldiers to read as well. But, uh, yes, at the height, comic books were, in, were selling in the millions, and then there was a, a, a drop-off post-World War II. Um, and it, it, right now, comic books sell, the, the comic books sell, like you're lucky to sell maybe 50000 a month. That's a good, that's a 50, maybe 100,000 if you're lucky. 100,000 is an absolute hit a month. So it's a different thing. It's, it's the ancillary culture around comics that he's also talking about as well. Like the, the cosplaying okay. and, and the, the yes. convention circuit, the movies. You know, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole uh, industry besides just print media. Well, yeah, you know, like I said, well, like this past spring, um, well, they have this every year. They have here in Chicago, we have C two E two, which right. is like our version of uh, uh, Comic Con. And this friend of mine, I talked about, I got him a he, you know, he would go every year, but he would pay. I got him a free pass to go, so he didn't have to pay like what is it? Usually, he'll spend hundreds of dollars just to get a pass to get in to see this. So. I can sit, and this may be something I like to do. I just sit somewhere and watch people the way they're dressed up. And I was, and they—I mean, it's like elaborate. I mean, these—I mean, we're talking about a lot of work. And half of these people, I don't even know who they're dressed up as. You know, I don't know who they are. But I was—I'm amazed at this, and I'm like, how did that happen? Where you can have a convention, and people will spend hundreds of dollars to dress up. I, call, I still call it dress up. People call it cosplay. I could still call it dress up. To dress up in these elaborate costumes of superheroes or villains and all that stuff. And okay, for example, this. Okay, this is this is how tragic it's become. Okay, this year, people now have to go through a security gate to be checked for weapons. Oh yeah, and the reason why they years. started that—that's that, 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 just terrorism, man. That's been around for a minute. Well, that's, no, that's no, no. Years. This is what a guy. No, no, no. This is what a guy explained to me. He said what happened was that the reason they started this was because there was some guy who um, plays one of the uh, Power Rangers, okay, and he <laughs> said in an interview, jokingly, that his character could beat the Punisher. So at this Arizona Comic-Con, a guy showed up with a gun ready to shoot him because of what he said. And well, I'm like, well, are you serious? That that might be specific to that situation, but I can tell you that um, C- C2 is is also run by the same people that run San Diego and New York Comic-Con, Reed Pop. And Reed Pop uh-huh. has been I- implementing this for a minute. A lot of it has to do with just these large-scale events and we we see in Las Vegas at a large scale country event yeah. what can happen. Things can happen. I just I saw this coming. That's just that's just because it's it's a big pop culture of cultural cultural event where anything can happen. I think people are just you know and also like you said, people are dressed as characters that have weapons. So it's it's, it's a recipe for disaster if you're not on the lookout. Yeah. Well. Okay. Something. I'm going to tell you, Yo, go ahead, you just mentioned it, Sergio. I believe it was five years ago, 
And I said to Afflemer, this was at the New York Comic Con. I said, let me tell you something. This is a culture. I think that was five years ago, wasn't it, D-Bird? I think it was five years ago. I said, yeah. I I said, and I was at the New York Comic Con, and I said, this is not just comics. This is a culture that's growing. You know, and I got that, that given point. A lot of times I went to Comic Cons, you know, it's like a, a clicky insider thing, you know. That was still growing and it was slow. But five years ago, I said to my mother, this is a culture. This is what it is now. This is what it is. It's a culture, man. And everything that comes with a culture, you know. Well, well, look. That's when I picked up on that phenomenon. Well, well look, <clears throat> I, I've, I've said this before on air, that when that young lady, the, the young, uh, attractive Latina, approached me in a Star Trek uniform, and she was like, yes, I, yes. I, I, she was looking for another person to cover. I see you're a brown person. I, I was looking for you. Like, she's the first one that, that had me to kind of put cold water on, splash cold water on me because I was caught up in the spectacle. I'm looking at Power Girl, Power Girl costumes, and I'm, I'm like bugging out, basically. I guess it's just like Las Vegas in New York. And she said, hey, wake up. This is a this is this is black and brown people. She thought, said, "Did you see attack the block?" She was just hammering me, and that's why I said to myself, "Oh yeah, we could we could we could actually put some identity on this, an identity spin." I had just started Afro Nerd, but really, it really didn't hit home for me as to how big this thing could actually be just for people of color, and all and all the so the identity aspect of it also crept in because before that. I'm at the I'm at the Spider-Man table like everybody else. Now I'm more conscious of Teflon Funk, of of uh, David Walker, Bitter Root, which is an excellent an excellent comic book. We're going to talk about that as well. So I'm I'm more uh, Afrocentric in my comic book reading, and 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 more uh, conscious of other ethnicities in their writing than I am just about Peter and Thanos. It's a little deeper for me. So the whole scene is so, is so deeper than what Bill Maher thinks. And I, and I appreciate what Sergio was saying, but the reality is that these comic books, you know, look, the, the, the audience has matured over the years. I mean, they, 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 they kept it up, and the writers are, ha, have been injecting very adult themes for the last 30 years. Com, comic books really changed in the mid-'80s when the Watchmen came on the scene. Okay, when when you had Frank Miller changing Daredevil, look how look look how great Daredevil is, and how people are are applauding Vincent D'Onofrio's characterization of the Kingpin. This is not comic book stuff, but that's Frank Miller injecting you know uh, Reaganism in there. He's he's eva- he's 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 uh, injecting um, uh, conservative politics. He, I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff. It's it's not you know. It's not child's play anymore. It's not, well, okay, it's not but 19... He, okay. Go ahead. No, there's, there, but there's something else. I, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you another example when it's the C2E2. I, I, there was this, you know, they have dealers and sellers all over the place. And it was this one dealer who was selling pop, you know, these pop dolls? Yes. You know, these dolls with the big heads, you know, of, of racing comic characters. And, Funko Pop. Right. Funko Pop. Right. Right. And... Some of these were going for like five hundred dollars. Well, that's and there was one that was 
damaged. It was damaged. And it was going for $400. I can believe it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Who is buying this? Because it's it, just a plastic doll. It's not just it's a plastic doll. It's a little plastic doll. It's not. <laughs> it is to you. But it, it's, it's representation of some sort. Look, I saw no, this. No, but you uh, see, but you see, I, I, you see, that's what he's going at. It's like if you're an adult and you're spending that kind of money, not for a Rolex watch, not for something you know tangible, but buying a little doll for that kind of money, something's off to me. But but, but look, if you're going to be honest, this is endemic to many different cultures. Some folks would perceive that a watch is a watch is supposed to be practical, and I look. I'm a watch collector myself, so I can't even I can't go too heavy into this. Cause I collect watches too, but uh, <laughs> watches, sneakers. They got they have sneakers. There's a, listen, there's a sneaker convention. I should say there's a convention for everything. So for so you just happen to you just happen to check out some fiberglass plastic prop that someone's asking for. But matter of fact, in your realm in Hollywood. Uh, in movies, movie props. Who has it? people spent more on on uh, on on Dorothy's red slippers, haven't they? Okay, at one, that's, that's at a, one a, time. That, that's a point. You you got it. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point because look, there are some look. props I would like to buy too. And can Hell I yeah. say that my favorite? Can I say that my favorite convention doesn't exist anymore? Which is which which was the Adele Film Convention. I used to go to that every year. I still I'm not, I'm not going there with you. Losing, <laughs> I'm not going. Losing that, okay. pit, losing that picture of me with, with Lexington Steel. I'm I not, lost it. I'm not going there with you. This is a PJ. I used to go to that every year. All right, hold on, hold on. There we go. Hold on. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go to nine one six. He's been waiting quite a bit. Nine one six. Welcome to the Grindhouse. Tell us who you are, where you're calling from. Is this our counselor? Is that big? Yes, I think so. It is, gentlemen. It is. <laughs> hey How's man, how you doing? Set? I'm doing all right, guys. Uh, a couple things. Uh, on the, I want to speak on the Bill Maher thing. Um, and I, again, I am in the vast majority that did not care for it because, again, Stan Lee gave and he touched all kinds of lives at all times of time periods. If it wasn't for Stan Lee, I would not have had an appreciation or curiosity about science. I wouldn't have learned about mythology, you know, and this is all because of having that escapism that he provided. And so for Mar, who really at the end of the day, doesn't really contribute anything other than, you know, smarmy, acerbic comments, which really don't mean anything in the long run. If we're going to take a shot like that, he had to know this was coming. Yeah, you know, he had to be aware that he was going to get some blowback that he's earned. Yeah, I mean, um, look, I, I, I yeah, find, again, I, I think it's interesting that when someone like that comes out, I'm more concerned about if you have an opinion and it's actually based on some on some data, on and I can see that okay, this guy knows what he's talking about, and he's being critical. Then you then I have to really take greater heed, but you could tell his impressions of comic books were so ignorant 
I mean, the comic book situation is so deep, and it is so entrenched in Hollywood's turnaround. Again, we now some black folks aren't going to be aren't going to be comfortable with what I'm going to say, but in, in an indirect way, the resurgence of Afrofuturism, or I should say, Afrofuturism, kind of making the leap into popular culture, is is might be responsible might be the responsibility of two Jewish men in the mid '60s. Kirby and Lee. If you're going to keep it 100, the the reason why we are talk why cross racially people are talking and are interested in Afrofuturism is because of Jack Kirby actually drawing it in 1966. I'm just saying. So, again, the fact that Afrofuturism exists in some way, not just because of Marvel Comics, but Black Panther. Is, is, it's kind of the linchpin now that Hollywood has turned around. They're talking about this year. I think you sent this to me, Captain. That this year's box office might have turned turned things around for Hollywood. Yep. Okay. All yep. these these brown, yellow, and red folks and their stories with a heavy dose of Afrofuturism. Wow. Who would have thunk it? Things are turning around. People don't people don't want to see the same old tired tropey stories. But Bill Maher is looking at this like it's you know, like it's little Lulu or something. Although I'm pretty sure there's some people out there that are into little Lulu. Let's not get twisted. There are some arrested development people walking around. But that's not the whole story. He's not he just doesn't he's he I can't be that ignorant at that angry with him because I'm looking at this guy and it's just like with, with GOP black chick. Crystal Wright, she's angry. She's talking about talking about Luke Cage. Well, he doesn't wear a cape. I'm like, well, you're a simpleton. <laughs> I love you. She's not hard on the eyes. I know I can't say that anymore, but she's not hard on the eyes. I'll say that. <laughs> That's just me. But uh, she says that and says, well, he doesn't wear a cape, and he's in Harlem, and he wears a hoodie. Well, <laughs> di- di- did didn't uh. Didn't um, Bruce Willis wear a hoodie as as, as the, the security guard in in this this trilogy that's coming out now? I'm all I'm all over that next month or two months from now. Glass, he wore a hoodie too. But our man wearing a hoodie is referencing uh, black black um, Civil War heroes and talking about Harlem. And the Harlem Renaissance, and we're looking at black, and we're looking at all this this uh, herb alt black music. But she doesn't know that she's stuck on. Well, this he's not he's not Superman. How come he's not black Superman? This is not what I. This is not what comics are supposed to be, according to me. This she sounds like how black how Bill Maher sounds like. They don't know what they're talking about. That's what's really messed up to me. Let's go to our friend and and your cohort there, um, B, uh, BS. I'm going to keep you on as well. Um, Q Storm, Q Storm. What's hey. up, gentlemen? What's up? Hey, hey, hey. Um, I just wanted to to call in. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were talking about Bill Maher. I I, I, I wanted to hear that name before I dialed in. Uh, <clears throat> so, in all transparency, I find myself saying that a lot lately. I am a I'm a huge fan of Bill Maher. Uh, I've been watching his show since, I don't know, 2005. Been to three of his concerts. I think he is one of the smartest men on TV. 
in terms of his political discourse. I, I loved his film Religious. It broke down religion, dissected it completely. Having said all that, I I found his remarks to be, so, you know, bordering on offensive. Uh, I don't agree with his position whatsoever, of course. But here's my thing. This is not the first time we've heard an adult kind of uh, deride comic books. This is something that we as comic book geeks have put up with, adult comic book geeks have put up with, I would assume all of us have, have experienced this. What I'm trying to understand is why is there so much vitriol uh, against Bill Maher since we've all had this experience, and why are people saying, well, he doesn't contribute anything, he's he's worthless, he doesn't do anything? I mean, to me, saying that is like saying, you know, did Lenny Bruce contribute anything? Did Richard Pryor contribute anything? Did any did any uh, people in the 60s that were little edgy uh, comedians and uh, spoken uh, live live word artists contribute anything? Uh, he contributes a lot, in my opinion. So I, I, I'm just finding myself, even though I, I don't support his words, I support him as a performer. That doesn't mean I have to agree with everything he says. So I'm just like, this is nothing new. So why why all the pitchforks and tiki torches now? Well, one main thing from our Stan Lee, I'll tell you, Stan Lee just died, right? And that this is what humans do. That, that's a natural response. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. You know, when someone just dies, it's best a lot of times you either say something very nice, even if they're not nice, or you don't say anything at all. Because the vitriol, the visceral reaction from the people can be rather severe. You know, with someone like a Stan Lee. That's why I said in the beginning, if he just said this seven years ago, he would have got some pushback, but he would not have gotten as much. That's all. Well, I remember right after Michael Jackson died, well, I want to say maybe six months, maybe maybe six months, he had uh, Wanda Sykes on this show, <clears throat> real time. And he started talking about he didn't understand why everyone was up in arms about Michael Jackson and his death. And, of course, I didn't like that. But uh, Wanda Sykes was like, you know, Michael Jackson didn't die from a drug overdose. Michael Jackson died from too much Michael Jackson. Yeah, I agree with that. And no one, no one said anything. <laughs> so I hear what you're saying, Cap, but it seems a little inconsistent. That's six months, though. That's six months, bro. Okay, it's different. That's different. Go ahead, go ahead, BS. <laughs> go ahead, BS. BS, go ahead. You know, um, I don't want to step on the captain's toes, but I agree with what he said. It's all about timing, Q. Uh, Mars says this, you know, what, 72 hours after the man passes. And as far as Wanda Sykes, she made her shot six months after Mike had passed. Had she said that 72 hours after he had passed, she would have no career. Believe that. I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. And as far as Willie Bruce and Richard Pryor, you know, we all have our own opinions. But I can't put Mar anywhere near those two. In terms yeah, of cultural, in terms of cultural impact, maybe not. But I'm talking about the content, their, their, the, what they deliver. They do. But Bill Mar. They go hand in hand. I'm saying Bill Mar delivers political discourse. That's that's what I'm saying. That's what he contributes, and he's been on the air for 20 years. So 
someone must like him. Someone must think he contributes something. Yeah, again, that's personal preference. And again, I think you know what it really boils down to. You know, again, like the captain said, timing. Had he said that, you know, four or five years from now, uh, he'd catch a smack, but it would not be, you know, the pitchforks. You know, it's, it's just a, a, a an actual issue of respect for someone who just passed. Because when Prince passed, there was a, a young lady who was actually quite close to me. And she said something greasy, and now she's out the picture. Period. <laughs> you know, you, you just can't do that, man. If she said something greasy that day, I'm like, no, you got to go. I didn't really, I didn't really hear so, too much about about Prince so much because folks knew when they the the day that he died, people asked you, oh, "Am I okay?" They knew the deal. Exactly. It's like a, it's like it's like That's a cousin true. of mine, and I felt like this. It's like a cousin of mine passed. I'm still I'm still not right since Prince has passed. I'll tell you right now. So. Uh, we got Takashi left here. You know I'm not right. So uh, that's a different situation. People, you got to know. You got to know how to play the room. But I'll say this much about uh, Michael we, Jackson. My, <clears throat> Michael Jackson. We got Darwin here. We got Darwin. Okay, we're, we're, you can bring him in. Michael Jackson left the scene in infamy. He, tar- he tarnished his image. Uh, with Stan Lee, Stan Lee had a lot of goodwill. Now, we have some time left where they might try to dig into this, this gentleman's character. And there's some things they could go into. But for the most part, within, within the 72-hour period, you know, you, you, you see, uh, you know, I recited, and I've seen a lot of people recite Stan's soapbox from 68, when he's talking about re- really clear on racism. I mean, that, that's a real stellar hell of a, hell of a guy. That's a gentleman. That's an icon. So that, that guy is the guy that Bill Maher chooses to critique. I have a problem with it. I will confess well, you don't you don't know what you're, what you're talking about. He has touched so many people. Look, I'm I'm, see, I'm seeing video of people out of the UK, politicians, on the floor uh, of their local um, their, their local political theaters, talking about Stan Lee across the pond. This wasn't some Joe Schmo. But anyway, you know you know it's funny. Real quick, you know it's funny. I know some people who shall remain nameless <clears throat> that when Stan Lee was alive and Black Panther was, you know, in the last couple of years to the build up to Black Panther and when it debuted, they were clowning Stan Lee. Oh, why are black folks all up in this Black Panther? It was created by a Jew. It was created by a white man, yeah. alone by a white man. Now, they were, these are the same people now. They're like, oh, my God, Bill Maher is the devil. Bill, I hate Bill Maher. Man, see, I don't have the patience for that bull crap. You know, same energy, hashtag same energy. I know people right now who are downing Stan Lee, talking about he was appropriating a culture. He, he's the owner of the Black Panther. They talked about his, his, his Jewish faith, and now they're all in tears, and now they're all upset that Bill Maher said what he said. I don't deal with the fakery people. Let me tell well, you something. Also, People will diss Nas for some of his some of his uh, hoodlum type records. Nas passes tomorrow. Those same people will turn around and say, "Well, you know, Nas was a great lyricist." This is what people do, man. Come on, man. You are a duality. You're based on your good and evil. Come on, man. This is what you people do, man. 
We got we got Daryl in here. Let's go to Daryl. Let's see if Daryl. What's going on with Daryl? Daryl, great Daryl. Well, I'll throw myself in. I told you that Bill Maher for me was canceled. My musical profession. All right. So when when he attacked my nerdcore artists and their fans, Bill Maher was canceled back then. He was further canceled before that. But I thought, hey, you know, a, a, a comedian's not making the right type of joke when he, he encouraged for Muslims to get, uh, uh, let's just say, not greeted warmly, okay? So Bill Maher has long been trash, continues to be trash, and the fact that some of these uh, upstanding, knowledgeable Negroes gave him a pass because he has a black wife, ha, you deserve what you get. Like I said, when I saw it, I was like, Oh, Bill Maher said something <laughs> stupid again. That's what he gets. Well, you know, you know what's so funny is that based on what the Uncanny just, just said, isn't it funny that we do this left-wing, left right-wing thing, and it's certainly the same bird, because Megyn Kelly yep. was where Bill Maher was last year, and the same cadre yep. of Negroes come in to provide cover. And and I'm just saying, that, the, irony, and I said, the irony is pretty crazy. And I said back then, when it came to her, is that these guys are blinded because it's a white chick. But I saw her on Fox News. Matter of fact, she's part of the reason I left Fox News. Like, like just left paying attention to it because the racism and the talking down to people of color was nonstop with her. That's why when she got, she got sent to, or, or she worked that contract with NBC... I was on this very program, and I said, I think within 18 months, NBC's going to regret this because the scorpion doesn't change. And sure enough, what did she do? She goes, and that black face is okay. F Megyn Kelly. Again, <laughs> these, these people you give passes to, I put it, I put it out on, on, on Twitter. I went, I have a long list of people I don't forget. I've learned not to forget. Why? Because leopards don't change their spots. If it if it starts if it starts up under pressure, they will revert to what they've always been. And Bill Maher did that. Myself. Everybody who trusted him, you deserve what you get. All right, look, uh, gentlemen, we have a few, quite a few people on hold. I want to I want to go to a quick break because we're going to get it in. I want uh, the uncanny because I I want to I want to appreciate his time. We got to talk about Shira. Okay, so we're going to go into this again, Daryl. So we're going to talk about She-Ra. We're going to talk about Tales from the Tour Bus. we got to get, it, get that in. And um, what's one more thing I, I wanted to mention, actually? There's a few, a few things. Tales from the Tour Bus, uh, She-Ra, and, well, oh, Bitterroot. I'm loving Bitterroot. If Bitterroot does not get some kind of at least a, a streaming service deal, I could clearly see that as something really cool cinematically, based on just the first first just the first issue has my juices flowing. Shout out to the great David Walker. He did it. He does it again. So quick groove. We're gonna come back. I'm gonna keep all players on hold. I'm gonna bring back Cthulhu. I want our resident counselor, Big Sexy, to stay on. Of course, the mighty Q Storm. Hold on, the uncanny. Two minutes. We're gonna get back. We're gonna get it in fight time. This is Johnny Otis's baby boy, 
Shiggy Otis. Otis, pardon me. Destination U. Two minutes. Let's groove. it in folks let's go back to it the call in number is 646-915-9620 again 646-915-9620 destination you sugar yotas all right let's get into this let me bring back cthulhu let me bring back the whole crew um i don't know who who has or, or does not have a dog in this race uh I, I will say i felt a certain kind of way i was never a big she fan as a, a child but I remember the the, the, the uh, animation. I think was was it coming from was that coming out of filmation, Daryl? Was that a filmation mm-hmm. thing? You had a filmation look. Yeah. Again, same same thing as Man. Right. All right. So, um, I have yet to see the entirety of the Netflix series. I, I look. I'm. I do feel a certain kind of way as far as nostalgia that they remember Shira. So it's cool for them to bring her, bring her back. But they brought the character radically back, radically changed. Um, I sense somewhat of a genderless vibe going on. To me, it seems like it's more of a social scientist interpretation of what young girls want to see. 
I don't know. But it, it caused a bit of a hoopla because you know fans remember She-Ra being this grown, voluptuous woman, and now uh, it's something else. There's messaging going on in these things. It's not just for girly girls. I, I don't really get that anymore. So anyway, uh, we were going back and forth on Twitter with a difference of opinion, and then we're kind of chopping it up. And, I, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I take this stuff to be somewhat funny. But it is interesting that there, there was some controversy about this Shira thing. So, uh, Cthulhu, you wanted to speak about this. So what, what do you, you have children. You mentioned daughters and looking at Shira. I don't think you've shown this to, to your daughters. Is that correct? Correct, and I plan on not showing it to my four-year-old <laughs> daughter. Um, okay. And, 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 the same, and the same for a very clear reason with my eight-year-old son. So um, just to be really clear, because I, I, I like to be as accurate as you guys, um, I'm on the Wikipedia page for this show, and mm-hmm. it says very, very clearly um, that it, it was designed to have, quote, um, fluid, gender fluid, and and sexually fluid characters with no heterosexual, <laughs> purely hetero- heterosexual characters. That wow. was the statement on LGBT representation with this kids show prior to it being released. So when I say that I tasted the uh, the uh, the agenda and that that is a very clear political agenda i'm not against lgbt representation even in my cartoons per se that was in voltron and i love voltron that's another dreamworks netflix series but this one it just felt so drastically different i'm just to be very clear when she becomes her uh you know powered up uh warrior version she resembles Thor, maybe mixed with, you know, uh, Captain America before the Super Soldier Serum, to put it mm-hmm. in comics terms. Mm-hmm. She looks very boyish, and that was on purpose. You can't tell me that wasn't on purpose when you see the quotes about what they were trying to do with the fluidity of sexuality before the show was even released. Um, now, I don't have anything against uh, the uh, executive producer or, or creator, Noelle Stevenson. She's a comic, uh, comic nerd that has a long history. She's young, uh, about 26 years old, and a millennial, kind of. And you get the sense of that strongly with this show. It has Steven Universe types of vibes. And one of the most, if, if, at least in my opinion, one of the most um, egregious things was the promotion of the body positivity stuff, which everybody seems to like, but I'm just not on board with, especially for my young daughter, of saying that that a basically a fat pre prepubescent girl it should be uh, idolized and she should be like the quintessential um, woman. You know, it, you can not make fun of. You don't want to make fun of or chastise someone for being heavy, but you certainly don't want to have that be promoted, that unhealthy weight to be promoted as uh, the norm, per se. So a lot of things going on here didn't feel like uh, the uh, the vibe that I expected in most of my children's shows, like even reboots like DuckTales. But the biggest thing, and this goes back to something you guys have touched upon several times, and I agree with wholeheartedly, 
um, there was a basically pan-Lando situation in this series where the only, and I've only seen the first three episodes, and that's probably enough for me, the only black character that I've seen on here which who is male and is is voiced by the Blackish star, I think Junior from Blackish, uh, is very flamboyantly out and effete. I yeah. just yeah, he's very effeminate. Let, let's just call it what it, what it is. That if that's going to be all of the the, the black char- uh, characters on this show or or the main one has to be effeminate, then what it tells me is you were trying to check two boxes at the same time. So. Yeah, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts, but those are my takes on it. I don't like this very much, and I was not a fan of the original when I was a little boy. I watched some He-Man, and it has a lot of homosexuality, perhaps in it, you know, that I didn't see as a kid too. But I don't have a problem with gay characters, not in modern day, whatever. However, this reeks of agenda over plot, agenda over characters, agenda over uh, just good storytelling. Yep. Uh, let let's uncanny speak. Uncanny, what do you, what is your impression? You were you were virulent about liking the show. You saw all thirteen episodes, so I suspect you have a different opinion. Yeah, I I like it just like I like Steven Universe. Okay, was it made for me? No, but they layered the plot. All right, it makes sense, and it's not for male gaze. All right, I I I, I you know what. Uh, CP puts up a lot of good points there, a lot of good points, okay? And if you're looking for a strong black male representation in this, this is not the cartoon for you. That being said, okay, some of the hate this has gotten from guys, oh, my God, you're destroying my childhood. You got all of those things. You got all of those DVDs. It's still being played on Boomerang. The, the original is still out there for you, all right? This is, this is what, what nerds have to stop doing, okay? They have to stop doing this, all right? Oh, it's not made for me, so no one should watch it. It's not, it's not made for me, so no one should, should uh, take a look at me. That's the problem they're running into, okay? And that's what I was bringing up to you when you were criticizing it sight unseen, Okay? that you're falling into the same trap, uh, Afro-nerd, that a lot of these guys did. All right? That's, that's all I was trying to get across before. Okay? I want, to me, to me, if you follow it through, all right, it's got the Steven Universe-type plotting. It's got a lot of Craig of the Creek undertones. Okay? And, and it, it borrows a lot from Voltron. The whole, the whole thing with... with um, with, with the alien planet and uh, whose side are you really on and what's good, what's evil, it's got that. It is, I, I go like this. I won't deny anybody watching it, but if you say it makes me feel uncomfortable, I don't want to watch it, I'm not going to harp on you on that. But I'm just saying give it a shot. Don't hate it sight unseen. That's all. Go well, I, I, I did see some of it. Okay, so I, I got a gist of it. I didn't, see the, I didn't see it in its entirety, but I did see some of it, and it just—it was radically different than what I remember. And I look—I understand things can be can be changed and reinterpreted and so forth, but I guess my issue with it is there's going to come come to a point 
let's say this is a new standard for Shira, and another ten years from now, these folks that have that have established this as a standard, someone's going to change it again. And then I don't want to hear these people being angry. They're changing my Shira. See, this this goes. This doesn't go just one way with the change. To offset the change, why not create your own thing? But this constant need out of lazy writing and, and, and again, the inability to create your own world. I'm very much a, a stickler, as the audience knows, for your own canon, your own world building. Because you, you're actually able, you're actually, it's actually better for you. When you saw uh, all, you know, everyone can't stop talking about Black Panther and, you know, all these middle-aged housewives that are going into the mythology of Black Panther. I'm sitting in there like, where were you when I was the lone, or me and, 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 uh, and, and Mr. Starks, we were the lone black kids in a comic book store. But now you're talking about, you're talking about T'Chaka and, and, and all these, and all these, these, these figures from that mythology. So I guess what I'm saying is they really like it because it's about you, right? But now this grafting of your identity onto somebody else's identity, I think that is – I think I think it's engineering, and I don't like it. And I have to agree with Cthulhu's prodigy. I think we all could get behind looking at all different types, all different types of stories coming from different perspectives. But this need to just bogart your, somebody else's ish – because somebody's going to bogart you. That's what's going to happen. I've already seen it. The minute when we had this back and forth, and I'm, I don't want to do back and forth, as you know from the song. I don't want to do the back and forth. Shout out to Little Duval, right? When we were talking about from, from the gentleman from Fan Bros, I think it's been re- rebranded for all nerds. Pardon me, for all nerds. Shout out to them. When it was no big deal to rebrand or, or, or to turn around the sexuality of Lando. I said, well, wait a minute. What, what, why is that when that, no one else in the no, – you know, they're not looking at Han Solo as Pan. Why the black guy? No, one, no one's asking that question. I'm fouled for asking the question. I'm just supposed to comply. No big deal, dude. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, when the Dora Milaje, who were, who were uh, straight-washed – well, that's different. That's different. <clears throat> no, it's not. It's not different. It's changing. Ca- it's changing canon. So all I got to say is, more power to this new Shira. But when they change it a game to something else, and they're going to be angry. Wow, who would have thought it? But I will say this, okay? A lot of the characters that people are arguing and getting mad about, uh, 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 like uh, you guys brought up the the slightly overweight, the big character in this. Okay, she had no personality in the first Shira. They gave her a personality here. All right, more characters are fleshed out here. It may not be to your liking, but remember, Shira series was essentially Shira, her horse, Bright, uh, Brightwind, or and the and the uh, and the bad guys. That's it. And and I have to say. The person voicing Shadow Weaver, if that isn't a black woman, then that's one of the best imitations I've ever heard. All right? So, so there is more than one black person on this show. All right? I'm, all, I'm saying, all I'm saying, folks, is don't listen to the guys out there 
that, oh, oh, man, my childhood's ruined. Don't, oh, 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 she needs to be looking like this. She needs to be looking like a model. She needs to, no, 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 no. If you're interested in looking at it, give it a shot. Give it a look-see. I, last week, I ripped into Titans, but I gave Titans a shot. I'm going to give Titans a shot all the way through. They, they have, they have uh, 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 Brian Hill and Jeffrey Thorne on that writing staff. And I know they know comic history. They could turn that around, all right? Noelle Stevenson is a very smart and funny lady. And she, does, she's fair, she, she layers this script where these characters learn similar to Craig of the Creek and similar to Steven Universe. To just shoot it off as, oh, it's just a gay agenda and that's it. I think you're shortchanging it, but that's just me. Go ahead, Afrener. All right. Let me, hold on, hold on, hold on now. Hold on now. Is this the Daryl B with growth? Because Daryl B, if I recall correctly, you were one of those individuals that would say you're ruining my childhood. So no, that's what we got here now? No. No, Daryl, yes. I remember. Tell me which one, which uh, thing I said you're ruining in my childhood. You said you'll be going back now. Wait, wait, hold it. I I said uh, the famous one is Twilight. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And what what I said about Twilight was you're ruining these monsters for me because even you don't know the mythological powers of these monsters. They're twinkling in the light. You know, I, I've said that before. I've said if you're going to use these monsters, you better know their capabilities and their powers and stuff, or you better create your own Bible in the beginning, a cat thing, and follow those powers all the way through. And Twilight okay. was highly inconsistent with that. All right? So Twi- Twilight's the one. If people want to get at me, yes, I irrationally hated that because I sat through the first 25, 30 minutes of that, and I went, this is for uh, young adults, the same for hardcore horror fans, and, and this sucks to me. And I said, that's it. And I think I've been proved out through those freaking three movies. It's a little bit more than, than just Twilight, but I think this growth, Cal, which is good. I'm not, I'm not covering at you, but I think there's growth. All right? I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I have to confess, I, I distinctly remember you using the term ruining my childhood on several occasions on this show. So, so what I'm saying, okay. you have, Daryl. Okay, let's ahead. keep it 100. You have. All of us have said that. Right? I mean, it's normal. Uh, uh, we we got we, we to get away from this being a, a one-directional situation, which is what these other folks are doing. These new jacks want to take over your ish, bogart it, and then when it's flipped, when it's flipped on it on them, and it will, when it's flipped on them, and they and their childhood or, or what they their identity is screwed up, then they're going to have a problem. But it's okay to screw around with your identity. When I was confronted to say, well, why do you feel like Billy D and Lando represents your masculinity? Because because Lando was a player, goddammit, and I learned something from that man. I did. <laughs> That's why. Uh-huh. When he was at the front, when he was at the front, uh, uh, at Bill, Lady Sings the Blues, and has his hand out and says, "Hey, you gonna let my hand fall off? You gonna let me in?" That's some player ish right there. Don't mess with me. <laughs> now, hold on, hold on, hold on. When I saw Steve Austin running, booking as oh, yeah. the, as the folks in 
book it. That, it was like poetry. All of us tried to run like that. Now, Shiro, you gonna, you're going to be sitting there, sitting there stuffing your mouth with a whole hose and, and dreaming on a star. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Here we go. Come on now. Again, Stop again, it. He's, enti- he's entitled to his opinion, but yes, he is. You, you, the same thing. Okay, if I'm going to continue to get disrespected, I only got five minutes left. That was toward me. That was toward that was toward me, Daryl. That was toward me. I'm driven by rage. It's me. The same thing you want for us and black and colored and, and people of colored communities to have their own, okay? These guys are re- rewritten Shira, okay? That's fine. That's cool, okay? Some rewrites don't work. I'm looking at you, Mr. Terrific. Right? <laughs> Some, rewrites, Some rewrites don't work because that isn't the character we're looking for. But, but to hate on the series without giving it a chance, like some of these other guys have, at least CP and you have the, 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 uh, given out four reasons why you, you're against it. Uh, fine. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of guys who aren't giving it a chance who sought to kill it before they even saw episode one. That's all I'm saying. That's fair. That's legitimate. That's legitimate. That's legitimate. Let, let, let me say this, and it's not really about what Daryl's talked about. See, there's, a, there's, a, there's an undercurrent going on here, too, that for whatever reason, other agendas, other types of representation is preferable. But when it comes down to, when it comes down to, to blackness, to black representation, and the, and the black, quote-unquote, the black agenda, that's more frightening. It's always more that's frightening. True. Just, see, this whole notion... This is, why, this is when we had this, this dust up with the gentleman at all for, for all nerds. And this, this goes to the root, the root articles, those people as well. They, they really believe that, th- that traditional heterosexuality, I'm not even discounting uh, the other concerns and, and other problems of, of, of black people who have, have an alternative lifestyle. I'm not, I'm not against that at all. Okay, everybody is, is, is due for their own sense of self-determination, right? That's fine. Belief that just being able to depict traditional black masculinity, traditional black intimacy between a man and a woman, that like that isn't a thing unto itself, that's where I have a problem. Because clearly, since we, since we were brought over from the slave ships, that was never a desirable thing. That's always been a thing. And these people could care less, and they have no knowledge about that. So don't come to me about, you know, I'm looking at this thing now from what uh, 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 Cthulhu said, where it says, well, we're just going to be dismissive of, we're going to make things gender, uh, you know, uh, fluid, fluid sexuality and not clearly heterosexuality. Well, you know what? Black families need clearly heterosexual. They do. Because it's always been the, the, the man and the woman that this could, again, being black and being with your woman and being intimate with your woman on screen is still, still not a desired thing. We can't even get that. And these people are going to tell you and me that the straight black man is the white people or black people. You don't know what the hell you're talking mm. about. 
We don't control that. We've never controlled it. They had us in sex farms years ago. They had us at zoos. They raped our women, and now you're going to come in and tell me that, well, the boy George got to go before I do. No, nah, and I'm not partner. I don't believe in that. <laughs> right. I'm here first. I'm here first. I'm running like Steve Austin. Damn it. <laughs> you can't say that. Every turn, black men and our and our women. See, I'm sound, I get my Tariq uh, uh, Tariq Nasheed on now. He's sounding more clear every day now. I thought he was a nut. Now he's sounding more. <laughs> what he has said when he said the term when he used the term Captain suspected white supremacist. I thought he was a joke. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are suspected white supremacists now, aren't they? Aren't there? Wow. He's sounding a lot more cogent than ever. He pulls out this Macy's ad, your black man ain't, isn't even in it. Now you want to give me some fluid, fluid gender. I'm not buying it. Black folks need a little bit of normalcy. We never got it. White folks have, ever, have always had that normalcy. Now they can, be, now they can f- afford to be flu- uh, gender fluid. We can't. We really can't. Not as a sole imagery. I'm just saying. It's a little bit deeper than that to, to me. And I still support other folks' uh, self-determination. But when is the black male, black female, traditional self-determination, when is, that, when is our turn going to come? I don't think it's ever coming. We, this is a larger story even about black animation. Where, where's uh, the black female positive cartoons? What's up with that? Well, you see, black positive afro hair takes a backseat to this monstrosity. I got a problem with it. As a black person, I do. I'm just saying. And you're putting all of this on Noelle Stevenson, who's a white creator, and she's supposed to think of well, I got to create a black thing on. I told you the problem with this is the black people that are in a position to put us on fleek, put us on notice, to put us out there, don't do it because they're kowtowing to their bosses or they're kowtowing to, to, to get those white folks. All right? I said, I said it in a response on Twitter, and I'll leave on this. I said it before. All right? I'm supporting what Dedrin is doing with Green County. I'm supporting my, uh, my guys over at RL Persona. I'm supporting what, what uh, guys like Roya and Coupe is doing, just like I support Craig of the Creek because that's something we've been sorely missing, just like I support the Boondocks, just like I support Static. We need more of that, all right? But you're laying all of this on she creators, and I guarantee you all they were trying to do was just to remake this cartoon, yes, in their image, but there hasn't been that many stuff for their gays either. It's only been in the last couple of years that we got Steven Universe, that we got want, some of those episodes of Adventure Time. They want, now have their chance. We're waiting for our chance, but what, I'm, uh, what I was saying is you're hating on them for doing what they know. If they tried to do a black thing and failed it, you'd be the first one at the head of the line to say, why are you trying to do a black main character when no, you're not No, black? no, uh, no I, I would not. Because I, I shouted out J. Michael Straczynski when he did Supreme Power. I thought that he, what, how he wrote black characters was, was very on point. So it's not like 
It's not like white folks can't write certain black subject matter. But when you talk about Noel Stevenson, look, the issue is that Stevenson will still, at the flip of a switch, still make a decision about blackness. That will still happen. So we can't just sit here and say that we can't, we can't, we can't uh, critique her because she's white. Well, I'm, this I'm white person... Say... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. That, that I think Dow person... said fail at it. He said fail at it, fail at it. I, I, and I saw fail, that. So. But I know that, but I'm saying she, but she still wrote a black character in the She-Ra thing. Right? So what I'm saying is, is that these people, we, we can't critique them, but they still feel empowered enough to interpret what they see in blackness to your detriment. They still do it. So what's the difference? They're going to do it anyway. They just, they just don't so happen. They just so happen. They just so happen not to give you any power or any self-determination. It just so happens that when they create a black character, it's always some effery afoot, but they do, it doesn't stop them from creating it. Greg Berlanti, he still felt comfortable in making this black Family man who lost his wife as Mr. Terrific, as some now some half a pan man who has no power, doesn't run his own own company. That's just done like by this this at the flip flip of a switch. So I'm not I'm not giving excuses on these people because they do make decisions left or right. But I just know that the standard is your black ass never gets any power. That much they're clear on. I'm running like Steve Austin, mm. damn it. Okay. Well, I'm running too because that took up all my time. So, all you right. guys, <laughs> have a good show. Okay, Daryl. Appreciate <laughs> it, man. All right. You know what I mean? We just, look, I, I appreciate what Daryl's saying, but we can't, just, we can't just be dismissive that some of this stuff isn't social engineering, that people don't have their own ideas, and that we're just – we're just victims. We're just, you know, we, we're we're just. I don't know what the word. I don't even know what the, how to describe it. We're we're just at their beck and call. Other folks will say, "Hey, wait a minute! You can't do that to us, black people." We go for the okie doke time and time again. This Macy's thing that's out there now. Someone makes a decision and says, "Well, we're just going to we're just going to depict black people this way." No black folks in the room. How's that? How are we going to keep on doing this? Because 50 years ago, black folks did speak up. Now we don't speak up anymore. That's what I have a problem. When, when uh, Franklin, uh, Roosevelt Franklin, <clears throat> the puppet on, on um, was it Sesame Street or Electric Company? I think it was Electric Company. That puppet, the puppet on PBS was talking in black slang, and black folks had a conniption. They called up and said, you're not going to do this to us. Now, the effery is afoot with black imagery every day, and we just, we just let it go. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. Happy Father's Day mom cards. That's the norm of the black community now. Jewish people would not go for it, man. They just, they just wouldn't. You, one misstep out of line, somebody from the JDL or, or ADL or whatever, they slap you around and say, nope, you can't do that. Where's the black version of that? Am I wrong for asking that? BS, wh- wh- why don't we have that? Well, 
what's what's with the NAACP, which is also a Jewish invention, by the way. <laughs> B.S., you there? Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, I'm so, sorry. I got caught up in um, actually watching some of this new She-Ra, and yeah, <laughs> there are issues there. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that caught my attention about this entire topic, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, there are three characters that are not being used that are of the LBGT, you know, persuasion, for, I don't know what the right word is. Apollo and Midnighter are excellent characters. Yep. Why aren't they being used? Too um, difficult. <laughs> North Star is, being, is not being used. I mean, if you want inclusion, and which is great, don't get me wrong, there are existing characters that aren't being used that fit that that category, so let's let's use them. I mean, why, why are people so resistant to go ahead and do that? Now it may be difficult, but so what? That's half the fun. No, they would prefer to ship Falcon and the Winter Soldier. They would prefer to ship the Winter Soldier and Captain America because. Some of these folks have said bluntly that, well, the straightness of Captain America offends me. Wow, Lord. Wow. Someone explain that to me. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm a smart guy, but I don't get that. It, 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 well, look, we, we can be honest and say what it is, is that it, when you are excluded for so long, you start to dismantle the pillars of... From which for that, the pillars that represent not you, it's really kind of an anger. It's kind of a, a blind anger. But the way you combat anger is to create your own, and that goes for across protected classes, really. And black folks have played this game too, you know, with certain things like oh, yeah. we need to have a black James Bond. I don't agree with that. We we should have a a black super agent, but not James Bond. It, 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 and I tell you, if you had your own thing, you'd actually like it better. But all of a sudden, some black That's man true. talking about, I want, my mar- I want my martini, shaken not stern. Well, we know brothers want Hennessy. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Knock it off. But we're, we're so, we want to wear, we, I'm going I'm to do, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, Tariq is making more sense. We want white zaddy with a Z. Shout out to Tariq. We want white zaddy's drawers. I don't. I want Idris Elba in a fastback Mustang or a fastback Corvette with some Harlem Renaissance drink working for MI-13, not MI-6. Stop it. He went to Morehouse and he went to Oxford. How about that? I can write it myself. Maybe I should. But Negroes want him to go to Eaton. When there's hardly any Negroes going to Eaton, but I digress. You got the Afro nurse started because once that once that topic came up, I did the research. I said this man is clearly white, but you want to take you want to wear white daddy's underwear. I'm not comfortable with that, and I love James Bond by the way. 
I support. I like James Bond as he is. I don't need to be James Bond. I could be James Bond's boy or something. I could be his friend. I don't have to be James Bond. Anyway, I, that's enough of that. <laughs> the, the call in number is 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. I see Houston is very quiet. You have children. Have you seen this, Q? Well, you know, uh, I, I never was a He-Man, She-Ra fan back in the day, so I was just listening. Trying to, and I went online trying to see what the uproar was about. Um, I tell you this, I, and, I, and, I, and I'll, uh, I'll concede the floor. What I saw, I didn't go look at the program, but what I saw. You saw the imagery. I, yeah, it looked like the same artists that do Steven Universe to me. Mm-hmm. But that pales in comparison to an animation that I, and I'm a progressive guy. But I didn't want my son watching it. It was a cartoon where the main character was a young boy. And he had, like, if I'm not mistaken, he had, like, Shazam-like powers where he would say a word. And he would transform and become a transgender hero. Okay. So you see this boy in a dress and long hair. And I'm like, what the hell is that? What? I I wish I could remember the name of that, that cartoon, but... I remember that. I remember I told my like, son, a, like two years ago. Yeah, that's about right. Too well, my son was watching it when he was a lot. He was probably five or six. He's twelve now. But um, I, I was talking to some other parents that I consider liberal and progressive like me. But they're like, we don't need this right now. Why do we need this right now on kid for kids? You know. Somebody pulls the trigger uh, again. If that's the case. If that's the case, why can't we ever pull the trigger on some real black representation then? Like, I, again, I'm just, I'm just trying to ask the question, why does the, the, this, the, the gayness and the, and the transgender and all these things that you're putting in cartoons, why does that take a back seat? Why, why does blackness take a back seat to that? Black girls, all the black girl magic, all that kind of stuff, we still don't see it interpreted for, for young black girls, black brown girls to feel good about themselves. We still don't see that. That is still more controversial. And again, you, we will have the millennial set that will argue with me that are of color that don't see what I'm seeing. That's the part that I find odd. I, I always believe that, that, that core blackness is the most controversial thing there is. It's like the Hulk. It's the Hulk of everything. Blackness. It just is. You know, well, we, can, we, can, we can accept all kinds of things. We can accept all kinds of people. We just can't accept black people. I mean, that's evident with what's happening now. These 911 calls. I, I'm glad the counselor's on because I think black folks, I'm, I'm a little disturbed with how black folks are even dealing with that. This same set of people that are ushering in gender fluidity for cartoons. Not that I really have a problem. Not that I. Not that I'm a hater that way. Not that I'm a hater that way. Right. But I find it funny that those same fools that are behind that kind of thing. They, for some reason, when it comes down to 
black folks living their lives don't have an answer, but give sloganeering like, uh, you know, cookout Becky or whatever. Uh, what's I don't even know what her name Becky. is. Barbecue, thank <laughs> barbecue, you. Barbecue, thank Becky. You. Every situation, which is a, which is a serious one, they make light of it with these cute names. And I'm like, you know what? This isn't really a black woman in Dunkin' Donuts who's trying to use Wi-Fi for like half a second before she orders her coffee and then the police are called. Or a black student who has their foot up during a lecture, all of a sudden the professor feels triggered and calls the police on this woman. These Where do these people you know, black, live, man? Where do they live? They, what does happen? Look, it, it's all, it, look in, in Manhattan – a, a former employee of of Obama's of the Obama administration moving into his apartment, the police were called on him as well. He's just moving into yeah, his apartment. Okay, this is becoming. Oh yeah, a I national... mean, actually, you know, I asked that question, and Philadelphia was kind of ground zero for this whole thing because that's where the Starbucks thing first happened, isn't it? With the They're two brothers were. When someone is parking incorrectly, or rather, when somebody was just parking and putting his putting his his money in the meter, some woman calls the police or threatens to call the police across the street saying, I don't believe that's your car. And he said, wait a minute, I'm putting... What? It's on camera. It's on camera. He said, wait a minute, I stole the car and I'm putting get, I'm putting money in the meter too? And then, and then when the cops walk, come, come toward him and it's explained... And he points to her. She walks away. Now, you know, I, I almost want one of these people to call a cop and so I can so I can justify my blackness. I'm like, why does this ever happen to me? I'm black. <laughs> look, if it happens, come define happens, me. Define me, white people. <laughs> but see, this, this same crew. And again, I don't want folks to think I'm some kind of phobe because I'm not. I actually wouldn't mind seeing other. I look at all this stuff as just content. Right, so I love ingesting all this content, even from different perspectives. But when it comes down to the black perspective, oh no, 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 we can't have that. That's always it's, it's been this way since I since since forever. Blackness is never acceptable. So what I'm saying is the cute little names, barbecue Becky, and there's a whole litany of these names, these cute little names. I'm more about let's get let's get a summons and complaint in order. I want these people sued to oblivion. I want their rental insurance or their homeowners insurance affected. I want some ducats. I'm not going to sit around just. I'm not going to sit around just you know or just name, give somebody a cute name and then uh, you know put this on my Instagram, which is what it's all these or this Facebook. These other uh, lame nogs seem to be comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. We have a council on, on the horn now. Aren't most of them being fired though? In that, in that's that, not good. That's not good enough. You're messing around with no, what? No, because it keeps on happening. You got to figure out a way. The council knows this. I'm somewhat in the legal field my, myself. The only th- the only way to stop people from doing something <laughs> is to put a summons on their desk. It, uh, Big Sessy knows what I'm talking about. That people straighten up right away when they know they got to stick three years plus. <laughs> I would think knowing that they're going to lose their job would be sufficient. I don't. I, I want more. I want more. That I, I want money. If you you're, if you are going to take away my time, I'm taking a I'm taking around taking your time and some money, a nice little five or six figure settlement 
should, should be very nice. It'll help with our, the building of our studios for Afro-Nerd Radio, Inc. That's how I'm feeling. But because this is happening repeatedly, this isn't stopping. When you start throwing out some summonses, some complaints, that's when you're going to start seeing. I have yet to see black people doing that. And I think, I think there's something there for that. I, I'm going to, I don't usually give out, give out my ideas, right? But I'm going to say this online. I'm going to say this right now. What black folks should be doing, there should be an app. Because you have your phone out so quickly, that app should be should be connected to uh, a a MPEG that goes straight to the attorney of your choice, so that so that attorney can scrutinize exactly whether the cops pulls you over in, inappropriately or whether this woman called the cops on you incorrectly. There is someone in New York now, a congressman, is working on legislation to address these phony ass nine one one calls. You keep on doing this. You have to pay me. So I'm asking Big Sexy, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think as far as any type of monetary suit, the best example would have been Starbucks. But the guys who, you know, were the, the victims of that, you know, they went another route. And, you know, I can't blame them for doing that. Don't get me wrong. You know, they did something else that, you know, we need to get into all this. They made their point. You know, the company chose to shut down for a day, which cost them untold millions. And, you know, they turned it around. Now, you know, Becky and uh, the water bottle selling situation, too. Lemonade and all that stuff. Lemonade, yeah. The problem is when these people call in, even if you hit them with the summons, the problem is what do they have to take? You know, most of them don't have any type of pocket. So if you've got a punitive damage award, you know, punitives are based on what you have. You know, the more you have, the harder you get hit. And Becky, I don't even know her name, but Becky just doesn't, you know, appeal to me as having that deep pocket. So then it becomes a question of wasting money on your own law team, and you get, you know, you get satisfaction with judgment, but no, no way to collect that judgment. You know, you got to pick your balance. I think there should be a fine you have to pay for wasting a policeman's time. Definitely. Now, that is a city council issue, and if they want to make that yep. law, I'd be okay with that, too. <laughs> when Sean Christopher says, you won't get profiled driving a Prius, Negro, is that toward me? Wow! Wow! Sean Sean, Sean is coming at me on Twitter, huh? Okay. Okay, Negro. All I gotta say is this: How much is he spending on How much is he spending on gas every week? That's all I got to ask. Yeah, shout out, shout out to the people that listen to this show. Some of you are crazy, boy, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! All right. So anyway, uh, let's move yeah, on. Good gas mileage, though, <laughs> and we know Q got to take a long trip, you know, from time to time. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Q. You know what you're doing. You know That's exactly you, what you're doing. Thank you, Cap. Thank you, Cap. Thank you. That's right. Shoot. Some of the movers and shakers who do have uh, financial access drive Priuses. So let's not get it twisted. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the, the Negro with the, with, with the uh, Mercedes and the projects. We, we've seen that since the 80s. 
and to the president. <laughs> Got to be careful with that. Got to be careful. I'm just saying. Okay, so let, let's go into this thing with David Walker, our friend David Walker, a friend of the show. He's really come back strong with this uh, bitter root. Now, even in his description of bitter root, and, and to the listening audience, you can simply go to our archives a few weeks ago when we had him on. I thought the description was enough for me. But having seen and read the book, got, I've gotten, I'm going to actually, I'm going to get a cool variant cover. There is an Akira cover. You know, the Akira cover when, when you see one of the characters walking toward the motorcycle. Uh, there's, an, there's an homage to the Akira cover for Bitter Root number one. So, um, again, we're talking about 1920s Harlem Renaissance. You have um, kind of this um, Afro, not Afro punk, um, steampunk, pardon me. <laughs> I got Afro punk in my mind. The steampunk vision of blackness. I guess it's kind of a, a, a way to old school Afrofuturism. It's kind of a 20,000 leagues. It's, it's that kind of vibe. But again, it has, it has blackness on top of it. I mean, when I was reading this thing, then Harlem, cadre, this family that's into mysticism, into, again, steampunk, steampunk, te- te- steampunk technology. Like all of that going on, we need to see that on screen. It was a joy to read it for the number one. It's going for a second printing. So, so the shout out to him again that the sales on it are quite robust. So, I wouldn't mind seeing this as a live action or at the very least, who would have thunk a cartoon? But again, we're going to get, you know, Boy Ford with a sword as is Shira versus a steampunk cartoon with black folks in Harlem getting their Ghostbusters on. Now, people can get behind that, or can they? Anytime we bring this stuff up, and we have some of the creators on, on, on the show, when they try to pitch this stuff, the, these people don't know what you're talking about. But they understand gender fluidity, though. If you can understand gender fluidity, then you can understand Afrofuturism. Or, or steam funk, I think, is the, black, is the, steam, is the uh, steampunk version of, of blackness. Steam funk. So, what am I missing here? And why are people going to call me a phobe, which I am not? Captain? Well, I haven't read the book yet, but I did okay. notice it was spoken about on another, another podcast over iFanboy. And now that, you know, you're speaking about it as well. You know, again, I, I am open to reading it, so I'd like to, you know, I'll pick it up this week and see, uh, see what it's about. Yeah, it's That's definitely, you know, walking through Harlem, um, it, it, you know, Stanford Green, who I met um, personally at, uh, at uh, New York Comic Con. Um, everything about this book so far from issue one is just a winner. And I, I don't think we've actually ever seen anything quite like this. And we've never really seen black folk in this kind of setting. You know, when Cthulhu spoke about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, we have to shout out, I believe it's going to be on CBS All Access, is going to be a H.P. Lovecraft style, I think it's actually called, it's based, on, it's based on a book. We have to have the book for sale at Afroner.com. Um, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, 
Love Lovecraft Country, which is a book which is of course available for sale at Africa.com. If you click the link, coincidentally, um, that's going to be interpreted by Jordan Peele for CBS All Access. And that book, which is channeling Lovecraft, is about um, a black family traveling through the South, a la like the upcoming movie with um, uh, Mahershala Ali. Isn't that interesting? So these things can work. These things can work. Even even that is going to be is going to raise my raise my interest. This love Lovecraft country TV series. So I'm I'm all in. By the way, Captain, what are your thoughts about? I, I know you didn't get the book yet, but what about trying to pitch this for a series like the idea of a Harlem Renaissance live action or cartoon? Where where black folks fightjers and are capturing mystical creatures in in nineteen twenties Harlem. <laughs> this this well, talking about it sounds crazy. There's so many different streaming services, you know. So it probably, it probably can get up on there, but you have to be able to make the gatekeepers see it. You know, you got all different type of things now. You know where you can play shows. You know, you got even YouTube. You know, you, there, there's some money out there. There's some money out there for this stuff. You know, it's a good concept. But you have to be able to make the gatekeepers see it. You know? You have to be able to make the gatekeepers see it. <clears throat> and that would probably be easier to do than actually doing the movie. Unless you shot the movie yourself. And then you turn around and you said, all right, I just need you to distribute it. You know? At that given point. Then that, then that may be easier. But it might be easier doing it like that. You know? A lot I'm of places amazed. there now. A lot of places. I'm amazed at how much crap I'm amazed at how much crap is green lighted. That's where right. even <laughs> I mean I mean absolute crap, right? even yep. so much so that I even forgot so I got even I have to think outside the box. We've been looking at Frozone for fourteen years now. And never and we just see his wife or hear his wife like like a Peanuts cartoon, we just well in a Peanuts cartoon you use sort of horn blast, but you hear you hear the wife without seeing her, which is kind of a, a a gag in cartoons. But the idea that hell the next big thing could potentially be his family. Yeah. No one knows what to do. No one knows what to do with that. As if that couldn't work, or or, or as if that might not make more money than even the the uh, Incredibles. That alone. Heck, I even thought about having Kenya Barris even write the damn thing. Have some black comedy writers write a Pixar movie. Why? What, my, wouldn't that be special? I, th- I, th- I think there's more going on than just uh, we don't get it. Is that, no, we don't want to empower you. <laughs> we don't want to make you feel good. Because when Black Panther came out, Others felt a certain kind of way. I find that isn't that special. See, no one, no one think, no one puts the camera on other folks looking at black folks being happy. Black folks being happy, walk, standing tall, walking straight, is a threat. Always has been. I hate to say, maybe we always will be. Damn that though. All right, enough of me on my soapbox. 
Um, I'll, I'll let Stan Lee do that. <laughs> T-shirt is coming, by the way. T-shirt is coming. So, um, all right, let's get into this deal. I'm not even going to take a break. Let's get into this deal. I got a chance to check out. I think Big Sexy, I'm going to keep him on as well. Uh, I believe he mentioned that he happened to check out this Tales from the Tour Bus, Mike Judge. I really – well, first, I was a King of the Hill fan. King of the Hill, not so much a fan of Beavis and Butthead, but I did look at Beavis and Butthead. I thought Beavis, Beavis and Butthead was like a one-track joke, you know, but they brought, even brought it back. They even brought it, brought it back, but I don't think it, inter- it was interpreted. It was, it was something of its time, looking at Van Halen videos and that kind of thing, critiquing Van Halen. How, how, although those guys critiquing Takashi 6ix9ine might work. But I digress. <laughs> now that I think about it, sometimes you can wait so long. It was, it was good in the 80s or late, late 80s. It didn't work. Like, I think they brought it back like 10 years ago or something. It was a little awkward. Now you bring it back now with all this effery? Might work now. But I digress. Mike Judge, the, the, his animation style just has this, this kind of acerbic, goofy lowbrow look. It's something about even the way that he draws the characters that's funny. Because they they do look like how they're supposed to look like. Like you can clearly see when he drew Rick James that it does look like Rick James. Animated. It is funny. Even when he drew Prince. The 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 introduction of Prince is is worth the price of admission. And this is actually episode two. Let me let me back it up a little bit. I mentioned this at the top of the show. To the listening audience, again, we're talking about Mike Judge presents Tales from the Tour Bus, and it is kind of ingenious, actually, because I, I was into it from the first season. But the first season, admittedly, dealt with country and early rock musicians, right? It was interesting, and it was, it was funny, and it was gangster. It, when black folk think that they have, some black people think that they have a corner, a cornerstone on gangsterism, that's not really the case. <laughs> That's not really the case. Some of those country 1950s hill, uh, hillbillies that were on wax would take a gun out on you faster than you can say Barry Allen. So their stories are pretty fascinating. I, I just thought he, I thought he was going to stay on these country musicians. Nope. Season two, funk artists. So episode one was George Clinton, which I have yet to see. But I can just imagine with all the psychedelic drugs <laughs> that George Clinton took up until recently. I can only imagine how that's going to look animated. But I did get a chance to check out Rick James' episode one, uh, part one and part two. And I didn't yeah. even realize, I forgot that, that Rick James had a relationship with, with Prince, that he was on his tour. Prince was on Rick, Rick James' tour. So um, looking at looking at that, Look at those scenes, man, and look. And these were, uh, you know, these were from the band members themselves talking. Like these guys are just naturally funny when they're just talking about like the, like the, what happened to them, just relaying what was going on in the late seventies, early eighties. It was crazy. I, I, you know, uh, as a New Yorker, I, my the Oracle would remind me about. Rick James's history that you know Rick James is from Buffalo and that he you know he basically owned Buffalo like that that was his haunting grounds um let me not go into this I want to hear from from Big Sexy so 
BS, you saw this. What, what, what did you think about this whole thing? You know, this is pretty funny. You know, I had never heard of the show until this year, and I did see the George Clinton <clears throat> episode. It was, it was wild. I didn't see part one of Rick James, but I did see this one. And what really got my attention, you know, was hearing from, you know, Danny LaMelle and Levi about, you know, being in the band with Rick and all that, and how Rick treated the band, and also how the whole Rick-Prince dynamic, you know, for lack of a better word, affected him. Because to me, I got the vibe that, you know, Rick saw Prince, He's like, yeah, Prince is getting an audience that I'm not getting. So let's bring him out with us. And then as he watches him more, he's like, okay, he's going to be a problem. Especially yeah. going places that I'm not, you know, able to get to yet. And, you know, and afterwards, you know, Rick had his own issues with, uh, with substances and Prince is doing movies. You know, that there was a clip they showed of Rick, you know, re- the real Rick, a film clip, talking about Prince and Michael and MTV, and it was pretty scathing, you know? Like, Rick, now I see why they don't play your shit even now on that network, man. You can't come out and just rip that. And so Rick painted himself, well, his band members painted Rick in the position of seeing Prince, having Prince pass him, and then chasing Prince. Uh, I remember when Rick did... Mary Jane Girls, obviously, and they were great. But I, I remember the Stone City Band had their own album out, and then Process and the Durags had an album which was clearly an answer to the time. Oh, yeah. And it's like, dude, come on. You, you guys ain't the time. You take your little what, that order hit, stomp it, not hit their single, well, stomp and shout, take that, <laughs> five minutes later, see you later. You know, and Rick just got caught up you know, with other things, and they didn't show this, but I remember when Rick came out with the Glow video, he was so, you know, happy, for lack of a better word, about being clean, that he put something in the beginning of the video, showing that he's kicking liquor, he's kicking drugs, and I believe Motown, at one point, before they released him out of his contract, sued him because he stopped smoking. You know, because all his best music was before Glove. And Motown's like, hey, you ain't selling, you know, what are we paying for? So Rick had a lot of pressure on him. But it was a, it was a well-done episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you know. Um, of a drug, though. Yeah, man. You know, we know something, too. I mean, in some respects, in some respects, they were the same dude. In some respects. Because Buffalo is kind of an isolated area. It's not downstate. Right, and Minneapolis is definitely also kind of that cold. Both of them are coming from cold areas, like exceptionally cold areas, and they're coming from solidly black backgrounds, black neighborhoods. So, you know, they, they're looking at each other, and in some ways, they're the, they're the same guy because look how they look how what they did. Uh, we see that. Mary Jane Girls comes out, and listen, Mary Jane, Mary Jane Girls was was the superior act to Vanity Six, and I love Vanity Six. Okay, I mean, let's just keep I, look. It's, people know on this show, I have a thing when it comes to female beauty, so Vanity was like, 
even Prince said something when when she had passed. Like she knew she was the finest, you know what? Ever she was. That was, she, that was it for me. That was that was it. Fanny was it for me, right? But as far as talent, Mary Jane girls could throw down. They were a better um, acolyte for better acolytes for um, Rick James than Vanity Six was for Prince. Somewhat. However, he came right back with the time, which was the Mary J. Blige, uh, Mary J. Blige, the Mary Jane, Mary Jane girls to Rick James, as far as talent. You know, Jesse Johnson is a beast on guitar. I mean, I mean everybody is like, you just can't mess with the time, man. Prince had problems with the time. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, but do process, process and the do-rags, no. <laughs> no. And I knew who they were supposed to be, clearly. They were the same guys. It's too bad that they, they could not get, they were younger back then, and they couldn't get out of their own way somewhat. And I thought the part that was funny was that uh, there was a part, <laughs> and I knew what was happening when, it was, when, it was, when they were showing it. They showed when they were first meeting Prince, and they said, yeah, where is he? <laughs> they said, I hear, he's here. I hear that he's here, but I don't see him. And they said, here's this little guy. <laughs> he said, yeah, you know, we, we're you know, five, nine, six foot tall. There's this little guy, right? And they took that little guy, they took him like he was a joke. But, but Prince was coming for you on stage, though. That was clear. I mean, Prince was a superior musician. That's what, that's what that was. And even his band members said, look, I like Prince. <laughs> Prince, you know, Prince they said, no, Prince, Prince was different. He was coming with something. And, and again, Rick James was, was, was that guy, too. I mean, he had those, those, those rock connections in the 60s as a, as a, as a team. And we, many folks don't really know what Rick James really brought to the game in his early, his early career. The minor birds and that whole crew. I mean, he, he's he's an interesting figure. He really is. But I, I think that uh, I don't know how to explain that. I mean, it, it, it's it's crabs in a barrel, maybe. I mean, you know. And ironically, both musicians die at about the same age, at ten years apart, or twelve years apart. Prince dies at fifty-seven, and uh, Rick James dies at fifty-six. I mean, it's it's a loss an incomparable loss when it comes down to black musicianship that you see now we have a dearth of, at least as far as the promotion of it. But I, I have to tell the listening audience, you've got to get on top of this thing. Matter of fact, the time is go- also going to have their own, their own arc with this um, Tales from the Tour bus. <laughs> they are, they are this season? I mean, are they doing that this season? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I'm all over that. <laughs> we're, we're in the renaissance, baby. We're in a renaissance. Maybe I got to cut it. Maybe I got to, I got to, uh, maybe I spoke too soon about black animation, even though it's Mike Judge. Because to see it, just to see an animated Mike Morris Day. See, actually, some of this stuff could be animated, like, full time, somewhat. I, when I had said, um, Again, no one's no one thinks that black folks can do you know that that we can, they don't. They, there's this thing about the inability to to think outside the box for black people. 
even with black people. But when uh, I've mentioned ad nauseum on the show about the idea of a hashtag black Hogwarts, I had, I had envisioned that we should see caricatures of Red Fox <laughs> – Red Fox and Prince as as <laughs> I mean I, you can write, how hard is it to write this stuff I'm thinking about this stuff in thin air and Prince as teachers at a magical HBCU animated with T-shirts the merchandising and the right and the right writing behind that the right comedic talent writing that 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 speaks for itself that speaks for itself. I've already I've already seen these characters courtesy of Mike Judge animated already, and I can't stop thinking about it. Anyway, let's move forward. This to this to the listening audience. We got about seven minutes remaining, so uh, we're just going to just close it out and continue going. Uh, oh, and you know something we didn't talk more Prince. Um, I have to shout out for, to a show I'm not really. I look at here and there. Admittedly, I look at here and there. Blackish. Blackish did a pretty profound homage to Prince last week. Did anyone see that? And what were your thoughts? Q, did you happen to see that? Well, let's go to, let's go to uh, BS. What were your thoughts about that? I thought it was well done. I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, man, it was magnificent. No. No. I mean, the intent was good, and yep. they got a lot of the little details right. You know, and again, I enjoyed it, but I mean, again, it wasn't you know the greatest thing ever, but it was definitely well done. And I'm not, a, I don't watch Blackish regularly, so I was really uh, surprised with it. I thought it was touching. I will admit, I thought it was touching. I thought that it, look, it's a 30 minute comedy show, so uh, you would think, as a part of the Black experience, when it comes down to artistic expression, that when our heroes pass that you're supposed to do stuff like that. You're supposed to shout out people. You're supposed to have a show about Nina Simone every once in a while or a show about Miles Davis or a show about Prince or a show about Rick James. You, we, we should be doing more of that. So when, when we get the opportunity, I think it's a good thing. Now, I don't know if we're going to see folks like Insecure doing this because I don't know if it's in there. I don't know if it's in there in their system to do that. I don't know if they have the comportment to do that. I hope they shock me. But old school, for the lack of a better term, old school blackness would do stuff like this. They're supposed to do stuff like this. I thought it was rather profound. I wasn't expecting it to be like a Grammy interpretation. But but to see <laughs> to see Anthony Anderson channeling Prince from Kiss with his he's definitely he's, he's definitely not on his ab routine. I'll give you I'll give him that. Not on that. <laughs> Right. For, in <laughs> oh yeah, but for comedic purposes, it was pretty pretty funny, and uh, we we see that Ms. Ross did a pretty pretty good a pretty good uh, a Wendy Melvoin. So um, that I, I I liked I like what I saw. I'm I'm glad that, and I, I think it's funny too. And this is again, I don't want to give shade towards Michael Jackson, right? I don't want to do that, but I do find it interesting that. I always thought that if there's a contest between the two, and I think Rick James versus Prince is a little bit more accurate than Michael Jackson versus Prince, but there, but since people seem to be doing that, or, or, or have to be doing that and have done that, 
I thought that Prince won out in the end as far as being kind of the respected artist of the two. It's unfortunate that, that Michael Jackson went, went the way, well, that both these gentlemen went the way that they did. But uh, in the case of Michael Jackson, they re- there's, really, there's really no legacy there when there really should be. Um, Graceland is the second most visited residence after the White House in the country. And it reaps in millions of dollars yearly. Uh, Neverland Ranch sort of had that same kind of appeal. And yet Neverland Ranch, um, the neighbors in Encino, I think it's in Encino, California, the neighbors, the wealthy neighbors have been against that. They would not allow it. They would not allow the zoning of that. And now that infamous residence is going to be broken up and going to be piecemealed somewhere in, in Vegas. Just I mean, that's, to, uh, I, go ahead. Just to, just to, uh, so that you put out proper information. Neverland is located in Santa Ynez. Encino was where uh, the, the compound where during the, mm-hmm. uh, the Jackson's era. Thank you for the correction. So now, you, need, you need to lay off Michael, man. Come on. I'm not, now, look at, look, you know, you you have a problem with listening to what I'm saying. I, I said it. Wow. I, I said this. Well, you, well, look, I've said it before on the show. I just, I just said, well, how am I going to lay off Michael when I think he's deserving of a Neverland Ranch? As someone who's not a Michael Jackson fan, I want to have. I wish I would have wished to have visited Neverland Ranch. I would have taken a trip. Look, I got to go and see Paisley Park. That's for sure, right? But I would also would want to see Neverland Ranch. No, I can't. I got to go to Vegas to see some some room. That's unconscionable. Well, listen, well, well, listen. Maybe Q was talking about all the other times when people would talk about Michael Jackson. He's always bigging up your boy, you know. Maybe he's maybe he's referring to your tone towards Michael Jackson, you know, over all the years that he's been listening to you. Maybe he's just referring to that Aquaman, you know. That's all, you know. You know, anytime they mention Michael Jackson, you always Come on in with Prince, and there wasn't a Prince argument at the given time. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it like I'm going to say it. If Prince gets a pass from me on a lottery, he laid hands on on Apollonia. I would wear heels and chiffon if I get a chance to lay hands on Apollonia. No, <laughs> Proudly. I didn't see Michael Jackson do. I didn't see Michael Jackson do that. Michael Jackson kissed up on, on uh, Elvis Presley's daughter. He said, take a look at this. This is real. Okay. <laughs> Damn that. You know, I, you know, I guess because it's how many years later it's okay to, to clown Michael. <laughs> I guess in a few years you <laughs> can clown Stan Lee like you're clowning Michael now. Another knock to me. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, man. No, I'm just saying <laughs> in a Wait, few years no. when they call him Stan Lee I'll, I'll remind you of this conversation Okay They can't do that either now, Look, I look. I loved Little Mike My, like, Michael Jackson as a child singer When he was imitating James Brown Man, he was on his A game All the way up to Dare I say uh, What was it? The, uh, the album before, before um, Thriller 79 
Off the wall. Off the wall. After after Thriller, he was done. After Thriller, he was done. Q. How was he done? How was he done? His mind was blown. He's never the same. He even looked the same. You out of Michael time Jackson. now, fellas. <laughs> I had a great retort for you, but I guess we're out of time. I had a great retort. We're out of time. We're out of time, man. You know, time to go. Let's shut it down. Anyway, uh, I w- again, I was. I'm a bigger Prince fan, but I would have loved to have seen um, Neverland Ranch. And that, and it's a shame that there, there's effery afoot as to why we can't see it. Something I agree. That much I think is respectfully. You would agree with that, right? Uh, I would agree. See, we should be able to see that. That's a legacy that's gone. Anyway, I want to keep it old school still. Going out on, I don't want nobody. <laughs> James Brown, the father of us all when it comes to this music thing. Wednesday, 7 p.m. Thanks, gentlemen. As always, we appreciate your support. Open up the door.